0: Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Bullet Catcher Season 2, Episode 14 The Way Out
1: They move as fast as they can, Cass, with her shoulder under Lobo's arm, carrying half his weight, but they're not more than a block away before they see a line of motor carriages turn onto the dirty avenue and scream towards them. They duck into an alley and watch as buggies turn down the street towards the hovel. After they've passed, Cass moves to take on Lobo's weight, but he stops her. Wait, he says. We'll never get far enough away at this rate. You're not giving up on me, are you? And don't ask me to leave you behind. You're not that noble. He ignores her. We might make it if we had horses. Cass thinks for a moment. What if we had wheels? She helps him across the street, where they hunker down at the edge of the alley and carefully lean around the corner. The three buggies stand parked around the entrance to the hovel. Day breaks over the rooftops, spilling sunlight into the alley and along the streets, alighting on the detritus and broken buildings, and somehow washing away some of the filth that had clung to all these things in the dark. The gunslingers are all inside, where the sounds of them tearing the place apart echo down the alley. It's now or never says Cass, and then they're running back down the alley towards the buggies. They climb into the cabin, just as one of the gunslingers exits the building, a cigarette between his lips, busily trying to get his lighter to catch. He looks up and the cigarette drops from his mouth. Cass and Lobo freeze. It's Nico. He looks back into the hovel and then rushes to the door of the buggy. The hell are you two doing here? I thought you'd have the sense to be miles away by now. And then Nico looks in the back seat and, finding it empty, says, Where is Emma? We don't know, and there's no time to talk about it now. You going to get in or try to stop us? Lobo growls. Try to stop you? Nico repeats as if not understanding the question. The door to the hovel swings open with a clatter. Nico turns at the sound and then, snapping back to face Lobo and Cass, says, Get out of here. Now. He steps back and Cass presses in the throttle, steps on the gas, and with a roar from the engine, the buggy takes off down the alley and turns onto the street. As the other gunslingers emerge from the hovel, all they see is Nico running after the buggy with his gun drawn. Cass fights with the wheel as the buggy slides across the wet streets. Goddamn thing! She shouts over the revving engine and squealing tires. "'Don't go getting us killed trying to save us,' Lobo says, tired from blood loss. A ping rings through the cabin and, in the windshield, a nearly perfect circle appears, as if by magic, a bullet passing inches from Cass's head. Lobo turns to look. The other buggies have caught up and are gaining on them. "'Can this thing go any faster?' he says. "'Not without me killing us.' "'It might be worth the risk.' Cass puts her foot to the floor and the buggy takes off with another burst of speed. Her hands are wrapped tight around the wheel, her knuckles white, her jaw clenched in concentration. Lobo turns and props himself up on a knee on the seat. The first buggy pulls up almost alongside them, and a gunslinger pulls himself out the window to sit on the frame, shooter in hand. When he fires, there's no sound, but Lobo manages to catch the bullet anyway and send it back towards the shooter. It pings harmlessly off the fender of the car and then more gunslingers emerge from inside the buggy and fill every window. They fire, hardly bothering to aim, hoping to shoot something, anything, close to Lobo. The haphazardness, mixed with the speed of the vehicles and the soundlessness of the shots, makes it difficult for Lobo to respond, and the bullets riddle the glass and back of the buggy. Shit! Cass cries, instinctively taking a hand from the wheel to cup her ear. Blood pours down her neck. Lobo manages to catch a bullet and redirect it at one of the buggy's tires. It pops and the buggy goes skittering off the road and crashes into the side of a building. You're hit, Lobo says, falling back down in his seat. It only nipped me, she says, grabbing the wheel again. But now her hands are slick with blood and she fights to keep what little control over the buggy she has. Behind them, another line of buggies add themselves to the pursuers these ones faster or more reckless than the others. Street after street, they gain on Lobo and Cass until they've nearly drawn even with them, and Lobo is fighting off the volleys of bullets at a pace he knows is impossible to keep up. At the next intersection, Cass feints left and then yanks the wheel hard to the right, so quick that the car lifts up on two wheels and Lobo clatters against the doorframe. They zoom down the street and their pursuers fly by in the wrong direction, spinning around and skidding out. It buys them some breathing room, and Lobo flops back into his seat, feeling faint. He reaches over and moves Cass's silver hair, stained bright red, away from the side of her face. The bullet took off the top of her ear, and blood pours down her cheek and neck, soiling her collar. It's fine, she says. They don't hear the gunshot, only the loud pop like a small explosion, and the tire blows out. They careen through an intersection, skidding in circles across the cobblestones, before Cass manages to wrestle the buggy to a stop. Down the street, the gunslingers careen towards them. Cass and Lobo pour themselves out of the crippled buggy. Lobo and Cass break down the street, but they don't make it more than a few feet before a hulking paddy wagon cuts off their exit. The armored double doors swing open and out steps Nico. He leaps down with his gun drawn. You're under arrest, he yells, overly loud. He's not even looking at them. His eyes dart back and forth between the fast-approaching buggies and the other two gunslingers emerging from the front of the wagon. He stretches out his arm and makes a motion for them to get on the ground. He mouths the words, Trust me. The two gunslingers round the back of the wagon and draw their guns. What are you doing, Nico? One of them shouts. The orders are dead or alive. He brings his gun level with Lobo's heart. Quick as a flash, Nico spins on his heel, draws his gun, and slaps the hammer. The gunslinger wheezes and drops to the ground, dead, his gun spinning away from him. Before the other can even register what's happened, Nico spins again and buries a bullet between his eyes. Get on the ground or we're all dead, he growls at Lobo and Cass. And they do as he says. He cuffs them quickly, pulls them up, and puts them in the back of the wagon, just as the first of the buggies skids to a stop. What the hell happened? One of the gunslingers asks, seeing the bodies. Bastards killed them, Nico says. He lights a cigarette and waves for the gunslinger to cover the bodies. The gunslinger goes back to the wagon and returns with a couple of sheets, but she unfolds over the two fallen men. That's when Nico sees her, Emma, looking at him from around the corner of the intersection like she wants to kill him. She looks like hell, but he's so relieved she's alive that it hardly seems to matter. And it takes him a moment to realize what the scene must look like to her. But what can he do about it? He can't approach her. He shouldn't even be looking at her. And then a moment later, a large man picks her up and drags her away. And she's gone. I discovered where you were when I received the report of the shooting at the performance, Nico says. I wanted to tell you all this sooner, but after everything that went down in Las Pistolas, I'm under constant surveillance whenever I leave the compound. Now I remember the man who seemed like Nico's partner, or apprentice, or driver, the man in the bowler cap. The way he seemed, I thought it was Nico who was in charge, but no. It turns out he was under surveillance. The only reason I was able to talk to you at all the other night is because the man is an orthodox teetotaler. He won't even set foot in a place that serves alcohol. Even then, I was afraid he'd be listening in somehow. He swallows. I hope you can forgive me. Before me stands my family. Cass, And Lobo. And Nico. And as it's turned out, Nico never betrayed us. Never wanted to do us any harm. And in fact, it's maybe because of him that we're all still alive. So why is it so hard to even look him in the eye? Why am I still so angry at him? And for what? The deception? Or how well he played his part in it? Maybe it's because when I look at him, I can't help but see that same person I thought had killed Lobo and Cass. He approaches the three of us and I take a step back instinctively. His face drains of color and his wounded expression goes some measure of the way to satisfying my need to hurt him. There is nothing to forgive, I tell him, and he nods, though we both recognize the lie. So what do we do now, I ask, mostly to change the subject. Nico clears his throat and moves back towards the table. We follow him. The table is plastered with maps of the building and reams of notes. Scanning them, I recognize the guard changeover times, cleaning schedules, checkpoints for potential escape plans, all sorts of plans and potential plans. Our hope was to sneak off the grounds with your troop, Nico says. But getting out the building without the three of you being seen is going to require some luck. How did you get them up here? I'm interrogating them. Can't you tell? Nico says. I lean over the table and study the maps of the building. What if we went out the window? I say. You know, like how you escaped the orphanage. We'd be seen, says Lobo. There are too many people out on the grounds. We could climb down the far side of the building, Cass says. It should be deserted, right? The guards should be on their regular rounds, patrolling the perimeter, says Nico. Or maybe they've all gotten drunk and are watching the show. I say. Nico fixes me with a stern look. Would you be willing to bet your life on it? I have on less, I say, pretending I don't see him staring at me. Are there always people patrolling? Maybe there's a gap when there won't be anyone there. Nico scratches his cheek and digs through the papers until he finds what he's looking for. The schedule of patrols along the South Lawn. There should be a small gap, maybe a couple minutes when there won't be anyone patrolling. But there will still be gunslingers stationed in the guardhouse at the south gate. Is there a window outside their purview? asks Lobo. Not entirely, but we'd have a better chance of not being seen if we used one of the windows at the end of the east wing. Still, it'll come down to whether they're watching the gate, or if one of them bothers to turn around. So the difference between us living and dying comes down to whether one of them turns around or not says Cass. Looks that way, says Nico. Instinctively, we all turn to Lobo, who stands to the side, taking in our conversation, looking his age without his hat, with the light shining through his thin, dark hair. If this is the best we got, he says,
0: then there ain't no use hemming and hawing about it. I like a story that will take me to extremes, and nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seehorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube.
1: Nico cracks the door open the width of a splinter. When he doesn't see anybody, he opens it all the way and waves for us to follow him. We come to the far end of the hall and peer around the corner. The coast is clear. It'll be the first door on the right after we turn the corner," Nico says in a loud whisper. We get to the far end and it's starting to feel like this might work after all. And then Nico turns the corner without looking and collides with the young gunslinger who'd stopped me earlier. Nico's shooter is out of its holster before I even know what's happening. He thrusts the barrel into her stomach, as though it were a knife, and pulls the trigger. The report is muffled by the closeness of the barrel to the woman's body. Nico's gun lets out a sound like a cough, and her eyes go wide and fix on him. He grabs her and lowers her slowly to the ground. Sir? She says the word like a question, like she can't believe it. But then she says in a quiet voice, I already told them I thought you were up to something. Then her eyes slide to the side and unfocus. And I don't know why exactly she said what she said. Was it to warn us? Or just to let Nico know before the end that she saw him for what he was. Nico goes on holding her for a moment more, his face screwed into a look of pain. Lobo puts his hand on his shoulder. We have to keep moving, he says, in a voice so soft and understanding, I thought it was reserved only for me. Nico lets her go. His hands are red with blood. He dropped his gun when he went to grab her, and I pick it up. There's a moment when the three of them look at me like they're all asking themselves what I'm going to do with the shooter. I turn it around and hand it back to Nico. Handle first. Just so there's no misunderstanding. He holsters the gun and we make our way down the hall until we find the right door. And when we go in, I half expect it to be full of gunslingers and for the setup to be a trap. But no. The room is empty. Nico flicks on the light, leaving a streak of blood on the switch. He sees it and starts wiping his hands on his pants. We go to the window and throw open the curtains. Moonlight floods in. Down below, the wide, ice-speckled lawn stretches from one end of the campus to the other. Lobo pulls his timepiece from his pocket and clicks it open. If they're on schedule, they should cross the lawn in the next minute and go around the far side five minutes after that. We look down, anticipating the gunslingers. And there they are, only a half-beat behind schedule. Hurriedly, we tear the curtains from the hangers, lift the sheets and blankets and pillowcases from the bed, and start tying them together, end to end. Think anyone heard the gunshot? I ask as I tie a pillowcase to the sheet. Almost definitely, Nico says. But the sound of a gun going off isn't exactly a rare occurrence around these parts. We might... He's cut off by the sound of the door handle turning and then a banging on the other side. Maybe I can convince them she attacked me, says Nico, staring at the door. Don't be stupid, I tell him. And as if in agreement, he draws his shooter, the blood shiny like an oil streak across the chamber. A shot rings out and the door handle flies off. The door is kicked open, revealing a trio of gunslingers behind a puff of gun smoke. Nico slaps the hammer again and again and again, and the gunslingers don't even have a chance to step into the room. The force sends them tumbling back through the door into the hall. We go now, Lobo says, unlatching and swinging the window open. There's still thirty seconds before they pass out of sight, Nico says. From down the hall comes a sound of stampeding feet as more gunslingers converge on the room. Lobo flings the rope of sheets out the window, where it dangles maybe ten feet off the ground. It's now or never. Cass is the first one out the window and over the ledge. Then Nico, then me, and finally Lobo. I'm halfway down when I run into Nico. He taps my foot and I look down and see Cass hanging at the end of the line. Below her, one of the butlers leans against the facade, his foot in the door to keep it propped open, smoking a cigarette. We hang there, the line wavering slightly in the icy breeze, knowing, any moment now, that the second wave of gunslingers is going to barge into the room, discover the line tied to the bedpost, and it'll all be over. Fish in a barrel. Montag! Someone calls from the other side of the door. They need you in the kitchen! The butler grumbles, flicks his cigarette away, and slips back in through the door. Wordlessly, we climb down the last bit of rope and drop down onto the gravel pathway. No sooner have we touched Earth, than we hear a voice from above shout, They went out the window! And when I look up, there are two dark blobs looking down at us. We take off down the gravel lane, turn the corner at the end of the building, and blend into the mess of gunslingers still gorging on drinks and food. Making our way through the crowd, we find our way back to the Irregulars, who have just come off the stage. There's only one more act to go, a musical ensemble accompanied by fireworks but already I can see that some of the troops and performers are starting to leave, lining up in carriages and buggies packed high with gear. Hey, it's Nack. He pulls me in close and holds me, his body warm in the cold air. You act like you never expected to see me again. I didn't, he says. For a moment, it's as if we're alone, back in his Vardo, where everything outside its walls feels far away. And then Knack looks up at Cass and Lobo and says... Is this? But I thought... Yes. It's really them, I say. But there's no time to explain. You need to hide us. We follow Nack back to one of the wagons used to transport the props and gear. Inside, he moves aside an empty storage crate, and finding a seam so perfect you'd never know it was there, unless you already knew it existed, pulls open the hatch in the floor. Inside, there's just enough space for three people, if they aren't too particular about breathing. I thought I might only have to hide the one of you, Nack says. It'll have to do, I tell him. The three of you get in. I can blend in as a member of the troop. Lobo starts to say something, but I cut him off before he can start. They'll be looking for the three of you, I say. But even if they know I'm still in the city, they might not suspect I'm a part of your breaking out. It's the only way this'll work. She's right, says Nico. I had the search called off after we arrested you two. Nico climbs into the compartment, followed by Cass, who steals a quick hug from me, and finally Robo. Don't go doing anything crazy, he says as he climbs in. I smile at him, and Nack closes the hatch, moving the crate back on top. Once Nack musters the troop, it takes only minutes for them to pack up and for us to start heading out. Like us, some of the other troops are in a hurry to leave, but most linger, sharing drinks with the gunslingers who have blended in behind the stage with the remaining performers. Knack sits up in the lead wagon of our short caravan, and I'm tucked away with the performers, dressed in a costume as if I had just been on stage and couldn't be bothered to change back into my street clothes. I watch from the window as a small group of gunslingers, noticeably sober compared to the rest, stand around one of the service doors, discussing something. The breath catches in my throat, and then one of them points towards us, and they start marching over. At first, I think they've somehow seen me, but no. They're heading towards the gate, where they pull the guard, waving the troops through aside. The line grinds to a halt, and for a single agonizing minute, we wait. Then the gunslingers come down the line, examining each of the wagons and carts. One comes to our wagon and raps on the door with the barrel of his gun. Everyone out. We line up outside like prisoners in a firing line. The gunslingers walk down the line, inspecting each person. When he comes to me, he looks into my eyes for what feels like a long time. Take off your hat, he says in a commanding voice. I do. He stares at me. As if he's seen me somewhere before, but can't quite place me. But then he turns away, and continues without another word. Nack stands beside the last wagon in line, doing his best to look impatient. A gunslinger stands with him, icicles forming in the brush of his mustache. They watch as, inside the wagon, another gunslinger goes through the props and costumes. It's taking so long, I figure they must have found something. But then the gunslinger emerges from the back of the wagon, shakes Nack's hand, and a moment later we're all loaded back into the wagons and through the gate. We made it.
0: You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 2 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
1: Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now.
0: That's not possible. Is the compass broken, or did I the
1: Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal, 700 meters.
0: Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi with performances by Justin Morel and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.